0: Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative types about how they do their thing. And this is kind of a special episode. It's our year-end movie wrap-up look-back episode where we talk about the movies from last year. I have two guests, Michael Doherty and Glenn Gaylord. Glenn Gaylord uh, did the same thing last year. Um, Every year, Glenn and Michael like to write about their moments out of time, like, favorite moments from certain movies, you know, that that are memorable. Sometimes they're great movies, sometimes the movies aren't so great, but there are these indelible moments. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to share my annual list of the Unsung Ten, the movies that uh, got lost in the shuffle but are are worth a look, especially if you're on a plane. They're kind of like good plane movies where you're like, I guess I'll watch this. Oh, wow, that was really good. All right, so that's what we're doing in this episode. It's a little longer than usual, but uh, if you love movies, I think you'll get something out of it. And I know I did. I wrote down like five things that I need to see, um, you know, to sort of make the year complete. Um, Before we get to that, I want to encourage you to go to DennisAnyone.net. From there, you can email me if you have thoughts, questions, uh, anything like that. Um, You can also donate to my virtual tip jar. It helps me pay for the expenses that come along with doing this and keep the podcast going and keep it free. Uh, you can also become a patron of uh, Dennis Anyone, and how that works is once a month I post a very special episode that's just for patrons, and you can do that at patreon.com, you can do it for as a little as $1, um, or you can uh, pay a little bit more and get some rewards, like um, an audio copy of my book of Screening Party... Um, different things like that. So, uh do that at patreon.com and then just look for Dennis anyone or there's also a link to that page at dennisanyone.net and also check out the Dennis anyone Facebook page. Okay, that's all the plugs. Here we go. It's our 2016 year-end movie wrap up. Hey there, it's a rainy day in Hollywood, and it is the year-end movie edition of the Dennis Anyone Podcast. I have two guests, they're both movies lovers, they write a lot about movies, and they see a lot of movies. Michael Doherty and Glenn Gaylord. Michael, why don't you speak so they know your voice? Hey, hey, hey. That's Michael, and Glenn has been on the podcast before. We did the same thing last year, it's like a tradition.
1: I love it, and I've got, Michael's got the deeper, sexier voice, so if you need to differentiate, mine's high and manic.
0: All right, that's... (laughs) People are high and manic. All right. Should I go high and manic to confuse No, 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 no. (laughs)
1: Michael, know your place. Okay.
0: So a lot of people do 10 best lists. I like to do a list of 10 movies that are sort of unsung at the end of the year. Movies that I had a really good time at that I feel get lost in the shuffle at the end of the year. None of them are like Oscar nominees or anything, but that's what I like to list. But you guys have another way that you like to remember the year the year in movies, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, this goes back to Film Comment magazine for me. I remember
0: Film Comment. I would yeah. pick it up occasionally and feel very smart.
1: Yes, and once a year, they would have their moments out of time issue, which recapped the year, but instead of doing a 10 best list, they would take their favorite shots, scenes, lines of dialogue, just moments from any film, good or bad, right? and just show you the impact that film can have on you, regardless of its quality. And that, I think... Even in the worst movie you've ever seen, you're going to find a moment that's going to stick with you, hopefully.
0: Right, when the stuff starts flying around Mariah Carey and glitter. Like, I think there's...
1: Funny, I was thinking of that moment yeah. as, as, as the example think, as well. I think.
0: I mean, there's so many moments in that movie. And it's so, hard to pick.
1: I used to wait for my dad to get home from the office with that magazine once a year. I just couldn't
0: wait to get it. Your, d- would your dad subscribe? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. and, oh. and uh, I wish I how to artsy people in my parents world. were
1: very cool about the arts I and uh, so were mine
0: really yeah so that's how you kind of grew up loving movies and seeing things and
2: well my well if i could tell you my earliest childhood memory was my mom taking me to see et when i was three years old and i had had surgery at the time and they say that you can remember that far back because pain was involved in it and i remember making this association between relief of pain movies. and movies oh my so, goodness and so it was always a thing for me to sort of Hide because I was bullied a lot, it was it hide in the movie theater, but then it was like, that's where I learned things. That's how I learned
0: about the world. You, would, to, lo- you would lose yourself. Yeah. Not to you take
1: away t- from that beautiful sentiment, but I'm still stuck on that you were three and Winnie T came out. I I know. I'm not happy about I'm, I'm that. that. I'm You're so young.
0: <laughs> okay, so Michael, do you do the same kind of moments out of time thing I, as well?
1: I, I, I do it in my head
2: because I think he's right. You, you know, you always go back to certain lines or, or shots or whatever. I think everybody does that. Nobody remembers the whole thing. But no, it was just that I always sort of made lit of of movies for myself and then because Glenn and I've been friends for a few years, I've always, I've been sort of secretly watching him and, and 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 liking that idea and thinking, well, I want to get in on that maybe. All right, I like as, that as much as doing like a top ten or top thirty six
1: as it is. In- I have a secret watcher. Yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah. It's a stalker. <laughs> yeah. All right, I like yeah. that. So um, before we started, a movie kind of came up as we were setting up, and it's one of my unsung ten movies, but it also got some love at the year end of the year. It got a Golden Globe nomination. Sing Street mm-hmm. is one of the movies I think. Could have uh, was a little underappreciated, but people are kind of finding it now on Netflix. So
1: it's the other musical that didn't get the attention. Yeah, it's yeah.
0: set in Ireland, and these kids in the '80s. Uh, this guy starts to form a band just to to get a girl to like him, and they make videos, and it's got a lot of fun '80s stuff and. Every time they discover a new artist, the next time you see them, they're trying to dress like that artist. Mm -hmm. Like, they have their Joe Jackson and their Spandau Ballet. Duran Duran. And the songs are so catchy. I I listen to that soundtrack all the time. I
1: love the Brown Shoes song, which is the rebellious number where they rebel against the head of the school. Yeah. And it just felt like the clash. And it just brought that, that... Rebellious vibe that I just love. I love that about some movies. Yeah. Like Animal House, made me want to just go on a tear and like get in a food fight. Right. And Brown Shoes made me want to like rebel against. I don't know. Someone Authority. In power. Yeah. yeah. Someone in power.
0: I like um, Drive It Like You Stole It, and I like um, that. That to yeah.
1: me is the most
2: transcendent moment in the whole thing. I'm not a huge, huge fan of it. I've issues with the movie, and I have issues with all of John Kearney's stuff, but that is the most transcendent moment, that dance sequence. Yes. The fantasy um, sequence. Because it's... it's and, and the way that at the end it starts to replicate itself, and you think it's going to happen again, but it's in reality at the end, I was that that was Gorgeous. legitimately great. Gorgeous moment.
0: Well, and there he's also living out a Back to the Future fantasy, and I think it's rare that a movie references another movie and still makes you feel... You know, that feels original in its own way, when yeah. it's a throwback, in a way. So
1: I, I, I'm not a, usually a big fan of performance-based musicals, where all of the numbers are on a stage performed right. by a band, except in Carney's work. Yeah. His films, to me, they're all kind of performance-based musical numbers, yet he makes them feel very earthy and lived in and real. And in that movie, the brother's speech to our lead actor when he talks about how he paved the way for this kid, is, to me, my favorite speech of the year. Is that
0: your moment out of time from that movie? That's Yeah. It's my favorite speech of the year, period, in any film. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That brother's really good. Yeah. Um, It's funny, because you mentioned, like, John Carney's movies. He did Begin Again before this. And I remember seeing it on the 4th of July in the theater and being like... Like, kind of loving it at one moment, and then, like, that would never happen, or I don't buy that, or whatever. I bought that soundtrack. I listened to it all the time. If it were on the cable, I would stop. So, yeah. it somehow, you know, I, I even as I was going, mm, I was lo- I was kind of I loved how the, it.
1: the production came into Mark Ruffalo's head, and we got to experience oh, him, yeah. how he would produce tracks. Yeah. It made me love the music even more in that film.
0: Yeah. So, um, why don't you take us, uh, Michael, on to one of your moments at a time?
2: Well... Um, I would. I had for my top film of the year. If you want to, do you want to do that? You want to go sure, backwards? go whatever or, you or want. Just just go the biggest. Yeah,
0: we're freewheeling.
2: Um, there were two documentaries that were disability centric this year. One, right, one was called Gleason, um, which was about Steve Gleason, who used to play for the New Orleans Saints, and uh, was diagnosed with ALS, and he decided to make this video diary to his unborn child. Um, before he wasn't able to to speak or take care of him, um, and there's a moment in there where um, Gleason's father takes him to a um, prayer service. I think they're Baptist, and he's he's real fundamentalist and really it's, it's like his thing, his his father. Um, and they encourage him to try and run, and he's he's not quite sick yet, but he's getting there. And they encourage him to run in, in this, during this prayer service as a means of trying to cure himself or getting beyond it. And he, he runs and trips and falls. And that's the moment where you realize you're going to need something more right. than just prayers for this. And it's, it, it, it's, it's that whole movie's waterworks. I don't normally cry at the Writers Guild Theater. Right.
0: I cry every time I go there, but, but for other I- reasons. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But I try to keep it together, but I was, I was just a, a mess during that. And, and the other documentary is one called Life Animated, uh, which is about uh, a kid with autism um, who, who it, 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 the onset was about when he was three years old and his parents completely lost him. He just caved into himself completely. But they realized that one day when they put a Disney movie on – and kept it, kept showing him Disney movies that eventually he would, he was able to come out of himself, and and start talking and relating to the world. And he did it through the movies, through lines in the movies. And he learned about the lessons that these these very simple stories had about you know life in the world and how you treat people. Um, and I. I Clearly, I don't have autism, but it was something that I clearly identified with because my parents put me in front of movies all the time as a means to sort of get me going. Right. Um, and there's this wonderful moment where, where um, Gilbert Godfrey and Jonathan Friedman, who did the voice of the parrot and the bad guy in Aladdin, surprised this home of, of autistic um, residents who, who go absolutely freaking bananas for this, and it's this great show of movie love and connection to it, and 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 what movies really mean to for for people, um, you know, personally. So, those are my two favorite <clears throat> movies of the year. Um,
0: I have them both on screeners, and I have not watched. And what's them. great
1: is both of them are streaming right now. Oh, so awesome. anybody w- listening to this can watch them right now. Even Life Animated? Yeah, it's on. <laughs> have uh, you seen it? Not yet, but it's on Amazon Prime. So is Gleason. You said Gleason's also on Netflix. Yeah, the, the Gleason Gleason is a hard watch. At times, but it's it's completely
2: cleansing and wonderful and, and life animated. I mean, it's just, both of them will just lift you. And,
0: and All right, they're moving to the top of my stack. I have a big stack, and now they're moving up. All right, uh, Glenn, hit us with a moment out of time.
1: Um, I'm going to pick Arrival. Um, arrival astounded me. Yeah, um, Arrival.
0: Huh? Yeah, we love said, arrival. Yay, arrival. It was kind of <laughs> like you went in going, Sci-fi, and then you're like, oh, this is really artful. I thought it,
1: I, I thought it was going to be this big blockbuster yeah. sci-fi movie, and it's this intimate epic that you feel like the whole movie is being whispered in your ear. And it was like, and Amy Adams... That's
0: an amazing... That would be a great pull quote for the poster. Have at it, folks. <laughs> exactly. But, uh,
1: um, Amy Adams, who I think is perfectly cast in this film, just evokes such empathy. And the moment for me was the first time that they all go up into this orb you know, this hovering spacecraft and she's breathing heavily in her spacesuit and she's not even saying anything, but it's just this this fear and excitement in her face as they get ascend up into the spaceship. And then when they get up there, gravity in all sense disappears and you don't know what is up or down and there's this big charcoal pentagon of a hallway that they kind of enter and you don't know what is up or, and then they encounter what they... Encounter in the film. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's one of those great, amazing movie movie entrances that's done so much from her point of view that you feel like you're just with Amy Adams, like inside her helmet.
0: How far into the movie is it? Is it near not the long. end? It's, no, no just, it's early. Bigger... Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, I didn't
1: want to pick a moment that would spoil yeah. anything in it because there are a lot of surprises. I love
0: the way the uh, aliens are depicted. Yes, because they're not
1: human exactly they're like it's a lava like lamp it's, it's kind it's of like a lava lamp meets an it's elephant tuss. like a giant a squid, trunk giant squid monster Yeah.
0: Is. I wanted I would love to know how they hit up on that like what did they try what were the sketches or what were the ideas before they went yes that because it's not like they started with any kind of uh, creature shape that we're used to seeing it was so imaginative yeah and your thoughts on uh, arrival Michael well I I,
2: I want to give a shout out to the ending and I don't I don't I'm gonna try to avoid spoilers it's okay but but
0: but, most people have probably seen it or whatever
2: well i'll just say that the big the big theme of it is is time yeah and what the amy adams character figures out about time by having this conversation with the with the the aliens through these symbols that they keep putting up she's a she's a linguist expert um but but the ending reveals itself in a way, and you've been watching these these scenes with her daughter, who appears to be very thick. And when the ending finally comes around, and you you realize why you've been watching that the entire time, and the decision that she makes relative to those scenes, is devastating. It is absolutely devastating. Yeah, I cried to, my eyes out during that. And, and to have to have a like you said a blockbuster big movie that's genre and yeah. and all about those kinds of tropes to have something that was that quietly human and brave in a sense, but what the decision that she makes, I, I, I was
1: completely blindsided by that. So that that really would have been my yeah it caught me by surprise too. The reveal, like I didn't see it coming.
0: Her acting is so good. Yeah. And she probably acted against nothing for a lot of it. You Mm -hmm. know, with the sci-fi, you know, there's probably not a lot there. And her faces are. When's it going to be her year, damn it? She's great. She's great. All right. One of my unsung ten of the year, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot with Tina Fey. Mm -hmm. I saw it early in the year. I saw it yesterday. You did? Yes. I I enjoyed it. I liked, like... I liked... I I guess I like movies about journalists, and I thought it was... There were a lot of things that they, were, they were taking on there. I don't remember it super well. I remember her saying goodbye to the guy that was, like, her guide. Christopher Abbott
1: from Girls.
0: Yeah, and it, being really moved by it because of the way their relationship evolved. And um, I don't know. I just thought I, I thought it was really... You know, they tried to sell it as a Tina Fey comedy, and then when you got there, it, was, it had a lot more on its mind, and I remember really enjoying it. It was about a year ago, I
1: think. I thought it had a lot of good things in it, Yeah, she thought it was very good. Yeah, um, I thought the plot was kind of all over the place. It was a bit of a mess.
0: They were trying. They were trying to do a lot of things. I think.
1: Yeah, I like Margot Robbie. I thought she. Yeah. Was a- she's kind of a scene stealer in everything she does.
0: Yeah, but uh, and I like that the movie was honest about the way she looks. Like Tina Fey was like, she's she a six. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like,
1: <laughs> uh, and Margot Robbie knew she was a nine.
0: Everyone knew it. Everyone got it. It was no. There was no mystery. Yeah. So well, you, that was we were band. just
1: talking about this before you turned on the. Uh, uh, podcast, and so Michael, why don't you tell your favorite moment from that? You you were saying, did you like it? I had a similar reaction to Glenn, where I felt like it was it was like three or four
2: movies at the yeah. same time, like scene after scene. It was like now we're in the drama, now we're in the comedy, now we're in
0: the sexy thing, and yeah, I, I get it.
2: And they, but I think that's more a product of the director. Was Robert Carlock her
0: collaborator? He
2: yeah, um
0: I can't remember who directed it. It's two guys. Oh
2: uh, no! It's the guys who did um, I, "I Love You," Philip Morris, which is a movie I right, love. Right, right, right. Um, but um, no. But there was that. There was a moment where she, where she's trying to em- embrace the, I guess, the Muslim culture for women, and she comes out in that head to toe, um, uh, burqa. Um, and I, and it's hilarious and it's sad and it's like that's that's a perfect Tina
1: Fey moment, right. I liked being inside the burka with her, too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I I like Tina Fey kind of going in a direction where it's kind of funny, but it's got more on its mind. And it's a good airplane movie. A lot of my Unsung Ten are those movies that when you're flipping through the thing on the airplane, you're like, oh, I'll check that out.
1: Here's some fun facts about that movie, though. (laughs) It was all shot, even though it takes place in Afghanistan, it was all shot in New Mexico. Wow. astounding production design when you think about that. And, you know, I mean, there's a bit of controversy with Alfred Molina and Christopher Abbott playing Afghanis. Yeah. Um, And that... Is it, it, my antenna went up. No, I, I think, I it. think
0: it's a real thing. I think it's a real, yeah, it's, it's not it's a It's like Mickey non-issue. Rooney
1: and, you know, yeah. Breakfast at Tiffany's. A um, like.
0: so why don't you do, Glenn, another moment out of time? All right.
1: Okay, I'm going to pick a very obscure film here. Maybe this is like in your unsung world. Well, it
0: probably is. But probably it's kind I've of like,
1: it. just like such an amazing film that people need to seek this out. It's road showing around the country all year. Okay. And it's going to be streaming, I think, next month. Okay. It's called The Love Witch. All right, And The Love Witch is um, by a director named Anna Biller, who uh, made a film in 2007 called Viva. So good. And she is a singular artist of the top degree in the sense that she doesn't just write and direct. She edits. She um, does all the production design. She hand-sews all the costumes. Every piece of art on the walls in the movies are painted by her. And the movie looks like it was made in the 60s, even though it's set in present day. And kind of it's like, looks like Valley of the Dolls or a Douglas Cirque melodrama. And it plays like that as far as the, the stillness of it and the weird pauses. Does and she act in it? No, she acted in Viva, but in this okay. one she doesn't. And The Love Witch is about a witch who wants to cast spells to trap her perfect man. And she wants to live her life... You know, pleasing her man. But it doesn't go that way for her because she fucks up her spells a little bit. All right. But uh, so it's a very heavy feminist statement couched in this very anti-feminist storyline. And it's astounding just the, the her voice is so clear more than any other director that has done a film in the last year for me.
0: What's your favorite moment from it? Favorite the moment? moment out of time? Well,
1: very early in the film where you start to really get into what this is about because it's so confusing when you're watching it. Like, right. what is this? She and another woman go to a tea room that's an all-woman-only tea room where there's a harpist playing music and they're wearing these big, giant hats and they're sipping tea and they're being served cakes on these little tiers. Right. And they're talking about men and how they have their lives are about pleasing men and the other one is disagreeing and... That our love witch has to convince her, no, life is about pleasing your man. And you, it, it, the feminism of it kind of boils to the surface, and that's in the first like 15 minutes of the film. And that's what really ca- captured my imagination, was just how onto something she is. Oh,
0: cool. Well, I definitely want to see it. Have you seen I, it? I haven't, but I've seen
2: Viva. And the one thing that I want to say is, when you, Glenn, when you were describing how it's put together and how... Anna Biller designs everything. There's a part of me as a film lover or film watcher that m- might start to tune out when you start to, d- to describe the particulars around something. But the thing is, is that she's a legitimately good storyteller. So it's not simply window dressing. No, it's not right? just pesky. And it's not just fetishism no, you know, no. for its own she's sake. Got to she, say. She's got something She's got
0: something. Cool. All right, Michael, do you have an, uh, a moment out of time for us? Um...
2: Kubo and the Two Strings is
0: which, that's an animated film, right? It, it is. I thought, have not seen it.
2: Stop motion animation. It's from Laika Studios, who did Coraline. and oh, right. Okay. The Box Trolls and um, Paranorman, and this is their masterpiece. It was actually done by um, the head of the company, directed as his directorial debut, and it's a it's a Japanese story about a little one eyed boy who has to go on a quest. Um, with um, a talking monkey and a giant beetle um, to get some things in order to confront his evil uncle. Um, And the film came under a little bit of controversy because it was a Japanese story, but it was all white actors that were doing the the voices. So there was this whole thing about representation. There are two versions, though, right? There's the Japanese language version and the American English version. That I didn't know. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see the Japanese version then, um, but I still think that you can have that argument about representation and what we need to do to not whitewash things. And also, it's a brilliant masterpiece, it's probably the best animated film I've seen in the 21st century, f- frankly. Um, but the one moment—there are several—but really, it's that—it's the opening where where this this kid and his mother are cast out on the ocean. And she's trying to save his life. And, and they're talking about storytelling and what we do for each other and how to survive and this whole beautiful thing. And the reason that it struck me, and I didn't know it at the time, is I thought, that must be computer animated. But none of it is. They created the ocean with giant sheets, these blue sheets, and used lighting. And then they moved everything up. And And it just goes to show you that, that movies are made by people. And it's a wonderful thing that that everything can be handmade and the soul of it really comes through.
0: I feel like... You touched on this idea of of effects and computer-generated. I feel like computers can do all these crazy things now and I find myself more impressed when you feel like it's real. Like those long shots in La La Land where where they got it all and nobody screwed up like that to me is more impressive absolutely than the third act of any superhero movie where they destroy entire continents
1: which it's, you just named every superhero I movie. know it's
0: kind of <laughs> like I know what's going to happen and maybe there, I'm going to come back and maybe there's a funny line at the end Go but ahead.
2: I want to see that now you have to see it and if, if it were possible to see it on a big screen that's what I mean be yeah. because the thing is is that you're, you're, you're right it's, it's the tiny details are, are important but it, what's so staggering about it is that it is huge it's, it's an epic movie Hero's journey about this kid
0: and these other characters, and I just I was
2: completely gobsmacked by it. I love it. I'm
0: getting. I'm starting a list of all these things I have to watch. Okay, Um, my next unsung film, Central Intelligence, with The Rock and Kevin Hart. It's like a mainstream buddy comedy, and I laughed a lot. And you know why I think I liked it in retrospect? Is both of those go both of those guys seem like nice people. They seem like good guy movie stars that you don't hear crap about, and they have chemistry together, and. I don't know. I just laughed. I I found myself like in going where it wanted me to go and having a fun time with it.
1: It's in my moment out of time too. Oh because yeah, I love the I early scene oh. where the Rock, his face is computer generated onto a.
0: I didn't realize. Kid. I didn't realize it was the Rock.
1: Yeah, and so it's a chubby kid taking a shower naked in high school. Um, uh, lip-syncing to Never Gonna Get It by In Vogue, and then he gets horribly <laughs>
0: bullied. Well, you're watching it going, am I spo- are they making fun of this person? How am I supposed to feel about this? He's into it, and it's funny how into it he is. It, but makes, uh, it makes
1: you, you love his character right away, yeah. and when he's bullied, you feel it, actually. Right. And he feels it, and he's, when he becomes The Rock, he's still that chubby little kid, and right. you buy that because of that scene. Yeah, opening which really did stick with me. I thought it was it had great moments. Well,
0: it was an audacious opening because it was visual and it was like, I mean, how am I supposed to feel about this? And if you haven't seen it, it's a I, fun I, airplane I, movie. I, but <laughs> yeah, like, it's just it just worked. I enjoyed it. Um, what's your next moment out of time? Lynn? Well,
1: I'm speaking of when you are talking about La La Land. Yeah. Um, so, for me, La La Land, with all of its dazzle, you know, because it has that amazing opening number that looks like it's one shot. And right. And it's really ambitious and wonderful. And then it's followed up by that second big number. Yeah. And, uh, for me, though, and it's kind of pinging on what you said, uh, is the moment out of time in that film for me is when Emma Stone auditions for that film. Mm. And it's just a take of her and the camera just pushes in on her face. And she's raw, and she starts by talking, and then it just kind of blends into a song about pe- the dreamers, which this movie's all about. It's about dreamers. Right. And you see it all on her face, and it's a magnificent performance. That, that Just that moment is always going to stick with me. Like, I have problems with the movie. I'm not, like, right. 100% on board with everything in it, but that moment is, to me, one of the best movie moments of the last 10 years. And, and done live, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, that was a
2: lot They did
0: fun. it like a few times, yeah. What did you, what did you, is it, were you a fan of that moment in that
2: film? La La Land was actually my favorite fiction film. Of, right on. Of, of the year. Did, uh, did you
0: guys happen to catch Saturday Night Live last night? Yes. <laughs> I didn't. There's a sketch where <laughs> Aziz Ansari is brought into an interrogation room. And the, he's like, what did I do? What did I do? And they replayed this moment where he was on a date the night before. And he said that he didn't like La La Land that much. He wasn't that into it. And the cops are badgering him and like throwing chairs against the window. How dare you not like La yeah. La Land enough? But they weren't that good as singers. That's the whole point. Like they were having the argument that the culture's having about that movie in this interrogation room. And I thought it was really well observed. Because I, I liked it a lot the first time I saw it. And then the second time I loved it. And I've gotten on board with it in a huge way. And so whenever somebody on Facebook's like, meh, I'm like, I don't know why... You're throwing chairs at them. I don't know why, though. Because I think it's because it's a movie that we don't get a lot... We don't get very many of them. And it was so... It was so unabashedly... Wanted to make you feel good and whatever, and I just like, mm, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, like I don't know why I take it personally. Anyway, you need to well, calm down. There, I need to calm it down. Sure. It's
1: there, it's a blockbuster. It's, getting, it enough well. it's <laughs> getting enough love. It's getting enough
0: love.
2: There are so many moments that I I I could pick from that, and one of the things I want to point out, and I don't, this doesn't get talked about a lot, is that it's a movie about Hollywood douchebaggery, essentially. But it is the most it is it is the least cynical. Hollywood movie to, about Hollywood to come along in a very, very long time. I mean, it really does believe in, the, in, in its characters
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, in, in ways that normally with these Hollywood movies you think, oh, they're just vapid and they're shallow and we need to pull the rug out from under them and it never does that and the proof of that would be my moment at a time which is the final ten minutes which that wordless musical montage of what could have been is just jaw dropping, and we talk about the ending of Arrival. I mean, it, the, the level of humanity that they 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 in, imbue into what is a genre us, it's a musical, it was it's it's stunning. It's graceful too, and 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 you think, oh, he's going to screw it up. He's going to screw it up, and but it sticks the landing, and it, it just oh. Well, it's it, to me the, it's the okay. reason I go to the
1: movies. Here's right. something weird I agree with Michael.
0: See, there you go. You guys often not disagree. <laughs> well, we're, we're playful yeah. with each other. But, oh, I, is that what you're calling
1: it now? Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I I like it because it sort of honors the beautiful strugglers, which I interview a lot of them on my pa- podcast, and I feel like it's one of them. and A lot of people in Hollywood that have made it are like, yeah, every valet has a script. And you feel like Denzel or... or um, Damien Chazelle is like, yeah, every valet has a script and maybe it's good. Like it feels like sometimes once people make it and they're successful, they don't want anything to do with those people that are trying to get in. And there's this thing of like, well, they must not have it. Or I don't know. I feel like He's, there's a real, they don't want to get any of it on them.
1: He projects optimism. Yes. Yeah.
2: But, it, he, but it's genuine too. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a construct or a put on.
0: No. I mean, and I feel like, uh, I am a, a stone remembers what it's like to not be emma stone you know what i mean like and i felt like that felt nice to me yeah i was
1: just like the, the fairy dust that was sprinkled on the movie just yeah. scenes where like she's running and there's just stuff falling from the trees or there's snow coming down he yeah. just gave it a fizz that was very memorable
0: yeah i talk a lot about it when in my previous podcast with the music supervisor so i don't need to go uh, but, on but I,
2: but i want to say just one because i love it so much but good uh but the, to speak to that earlier SNL observation about how you know they say well they're not good singers and well that's the point is that I don't know if it's the point exactly but I think what I, I don't want to go so far as to say it's profound because I I, I don't want to go that far but I think what what moved me the deepest about it was was yes they they don't they're not doing that too much
0: sorry. it might yeah it, it might come apologies. up on the sun I'm sorry it's okay but when I get you get worked up you want to keep wanna, my hands exactly like um, pyramid.
2: But what I find, what I found most moving about it ultimately, was that yeah, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling aren't the best singers, and not the best dancers, but it st- speaks to the theme of dreams, and how we all have them, and how reality is is it, in danger of of coming in at any second and making the whole endeavor collapse. Yes. And I just love that yeah, they're not the best singers, so yeah, the song could fall apart and it never does, and you think. Oh, Got it, got
0: it. Yeah, you're watching that one long that one long dance that they do um, on the street at night and it's magic hour and there's one point where it feels like it's, and you're like, are they going to pull it off? Oh my God, they're not cutting. They're really doing this. They're going to keep going. And then you think, oh, okay, it's ending. And then it goes for another 30 seconds and it gets even bigger and it's kind of like... You're waiting for the cake to fall, and it doesn't fall in some and, of those moments. And he's
2: looking at his feet the entire time, so you know he's not hes not a professional dancer, but he just, he just pulls it off.
0: Yeah. It gives the characters humanity, I think. Yeah, they're and they're they are such good actors. Yes, they're great together. And that scene when they fight at dinner, it's like, oh, fuck, shit just got real. I had a problem with that scene. <laughs> I loved it. I just thought, they
1: really I, didn't work this out before, and I, I'm not buying it. I... Didn't have a problem
2: with it. I think it's a master stroke, but we're going to be here for another two hours. Yeah, I know. Exactly.
0: (laughs) All right. Um, So, uh, Other People is on my Unsung uh, Movies of the Year. It's a... It played at Outfest on closing night. Molly Shannon is in it. Um, It's written and directed by the head writer of Saturday Night Live, Chris Kelly. And it's about a gay guy who's like a down-on-his-luck writer who goes home to care for his mother, who's... um, dying of cancer, and it goes through the seasons, and I just thought it was, uh, you know, my mother passed away from cancer, so I related to some of that sort of being home and and that whole thing, and her performance was amazing, and it has the funniest opening for me of any movie this year. Yeah. Have you seen it?
2: Yes.
1: I thought it was okay.
0: Uh, Well, next time you're on a plane, it might really just... (laughs) (laughs)
1: I thought it was an experiential thing, because I also lost my mother to cancer, and I was the age of the Jesse Plemons character when I was taking care of my mom, and so I watched this entire movie through tears, Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, this is me, I don't know if everyone's going to react to this movie the same way, and obviously not everyone did, You know, but uh, uh, I thought it was just so fantastic, and I thought both lead performances were great. That this is really, really an unsung movie. Yeah. Uh, and that it's probably the biggest cry movie since Terms of Endearment.
0: Did you think she was good, Molly Shan? Yeah. Because I, 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 I feel I, like she could have gotten... The supporting actress field isn't yeah, that was, tough this year. I feel like she could have... She still can. ...poked in there. I, you know? And I don't know why they didn't... She got a Golden Globe nomination. Did she get, she get anything Did she? from SAG?
2: Because they, that would be the, the group that... that would I think it was SAG it. supporting,
0: not Golden oh, Globe. Um, Maybe it's SAG. I don't think it was Golden Globes. Right. No, but, she
2: she's great, and I appreciate when really funny people make that sharp left turn into dramedy and actually pull it off. Right. it's it's good. Yeah. Um, but the what the one other moment was when he's looking for the was he looking for aspirin or something in, the drug in, in, store. in a drugstore and has that meltdown. He's like, I just want the aspirin, but you know that's, that's not really what's going on. Right. I thought yeah.
0: that that was that was. I had that, that moment too. It felt yeah. like it was really personal and it yeah. felt like somebody really experienced it. It, it was one of my moments yeah. out of time awesome. in that
1: film when she goes back to the school that she worked at and she could barely talk and so she's talking to all of her fellow teachers and kind of filling them in on who to look out for, what students are good, the skinny on everything. But she can barely talk and there's this one very passive aggressive teacher who keeps on saying, what did you say? I can't hear her. I don't... And you felt Molly Shannon's alienation from this group by this other opposing character and it was devastating to watch her come in optimistically and get the wind taken out of her sails yeah. by this person.
0: Mm-hmm. It's never going to be the same. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Uh, give us a moment at a time, Michael. Um, another
2: one would be The Witch. Have you seen the No, Witch? I haven't. Have you seen it? Oh, yes.
0: Loved it. Some people loved it. Some people thought that it wasn't uh, what they were looking for in a horror movie.
2: Like... That it wasn't horrific at all, which I don't think is actually true. Um, I I think there's a lot of horror in it, but it it functions just as a dramatic movie as as well about people who are relying on their faith and relying on their God to, to help and protect and save them. And it suggests that, you know, the devil is real and they don't get the help. Their prayers are never answered. And the evil in it is, is, there is a witch. I mean, it's not a spoiler because she shows up in the first five minutes of the movie. Right. And does some really nasty things. Um, But part of the evil is represented by this goat named Black Philip, which gives one of the great animal performances, like, in the history of movies. Right. And... Appears to talk at the end. You're not entirely sure. <laughs> it's but Black Philip. Come on, but, but but appears to talk at the end and utters the line, "Wouldst thou like to live deliciously?" To the uh, oldest daughter of the, of the group, who is flirting with the idea of of joining the dark side of things, and. I'm not going to say whether she does or does not, but when when that line came, it was like that was the summation of the whole thing. It's like, do you want to give up on living all buttoned up, and or do you want to live wildly? And
1: you know, it's, it's it's a haunting, gorgeously shot film
2: and constructed. And, and,
1: and I'm piggybacking on Michael. It it works without the supernatural elements. Uh, that forget about witchcraft. It works as a family isolated in the woods exiled from their community and they have to forage for food and figure out how to survive and are relying on their faith. And it's not quite working out. Right. And just that alone is dramatic enough. You know, it reminded me a lot of um, Michael Hanukkah's The White Ribbon Hmm. and in its formality and in its, the the way it looks and just about the quiet devastation going on. Um, And then the fact that witchcraft is on top of that, layered on top of it so memorably with this goat is I love that film. I'm
0: ready for a... <clears throat> excuse me. I'm ready for a fucked up goat movie. <laughs> like, i <I'd> spent <laughs> The hangover wasn't... Although enough. I did see goat and I kind of was into it. I thought it was interesting. That's another story. Um, <laughs> so, another unsung movie. Don't Think Twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, about an improv troupe in New York. And what happens when one of them gets put on, like, Saturday Night Live. Uh, a show like that. And how it affects the group. And hit a little close to home, you know. For anyone that's trying to make it, um, and some people do, and some people don't, and how that affects other people. But I really loved it. Love that movie. <coughs> that's one me. of my
1: favorites of the year. Uh, I think that uh, Michael Burbiglia, who did Sleepwalk with Me prior to this, right, uh, is a real voice that he he uh, he really captures this camaraderie that could fall apart at any second with this group of artists struggling
0: and competing. It's I know we're of, doing it because it's so much fun. And wait a second, you got a job like, and
1: Jillian uh, Jacobs, who a lot of people <clears throat> know from community, the show right. community. Um, she has a refrain throughout the movie that I love. Cause improv comics always get up there and they ask the audience, you know, give us a profession, name a profession. And throughout the movie, she keeps on saying, has anyone had a particularly bad day? And that's what frames every act of the film. And I love that. That's what was framing because you knew that. Things weren't going to be as rosy and sunny throughout this film, and that was the signpost for it. That was yeah. a great, great film.
2: Did you see it? I
0: hated it. <laughs> That's so fun. I hated it
2: on like a nearly molecular level.
0: <laughs> what 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 bugged you about it? Well, it it
2: bugged me personally because being a, a writers guild member, I'm like, no, kids, write it down, write it down. It's 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 you know, I, I just improv can get to me at times. Good improv. Yeah, that's great, but write it down. Right, but I think the biggest thing was was that I was watching a bunch of douchebags for about ninety minutes or so, which I'm fine with. But then in the last five minutes, it redeems them in a way that I thought was completely false, and went against everything else in the movie, and I was like legitimately angry. It does pull the punches in the last scene, and I'll agree. Yeah. And I thought, hmm, I, right. I just couldn't, couldn't. I love it.
0: We have a, con- a little controversy. I know, molecular it's molecular level. Thorny. I it's mean, thorny. That's, it's thorny. It's <laughs> merely
2: molecular
1: level. Okay, All right. I, just, I sit corrected.
0: Who wants to go next with a um, moment?
1: Yes, okay. <clears throat> so another moment out of time um, uh, was uh, this is another just a line of dialogue that captured me with fences. Uh, mm. I really didn't expect to like the movie as much as I did because it, it is a filmed play. And it's not opened up very much. Denzel Washington directed it. Um, and yet, because it's not opened up much, it really just lets you live in that, those characters and that dialogue, which is amazing dialogue. And the characters just get peeled back like onion layers throughout the film. And so it just reveals so much. And it really does give you uh, an appreciation for the struggles of the black male throughout history in this very complicated character that Denzel masterfully plays, I think. And he's got this line where he's talking about the only joy that he has in his life is with Viola Davis. And it was a line when he said it, the audience I was with actually shuddered and, like, sat back in their seats. It was almost like the line blew them back into their seats. And I'll read you the line. He says to her, We go upstairs in that room at night, and I fall down on you and try to blast a hole into forever. And it was just poetry, and it was just like, whoa, that came out of his mouth.
0: I saw somebody say that on Grinder. <laughs> actually. Uh, I mean, he spelled it wrong. He spelled a lot of the words wrong, but yeah.
1: Well, as one does on as, Grindr. You know,
0: um, but I remember that moment, too, and it's like, it was so powerful and like kind of violent, but also, you know, th- th- there was need and yeah his passionate need to escape the shit
1: in his life
0: and and her and her having to enable that in that way that you didn't know if she enjoyed right yeah
1: what did you think michael i
2: loved it and i mean talk about writing it's not just that line it's like every line in it and there was one person that complained about how they don't talk like real people as if that's a prerequisite for, right. for making anything yeah um but i mean it's like line after line it's like the, i mean they refer to august wilson as like the american shakespeare and they're not they're not far off in the in in, in the beauty of it and when i actually when i went to see it this was gratifying when i, when I went to see it with my folks again over christmas in this white plains theater as a regular audience when august wilson's name came up at the end they clapped they didn't clap for cool. anybody else.
1: They clapped for August Wilson and validate the writer. Good, good. What's so. amazing is that Denzel Washington announced at the screening that I went to that he has optioned all of the century plays. So August Wilson wrote a play for each century in the 20th century and that he is going to produce all of them with mm-hmm. HBO. Can't and wait. So that is like a gift from God. You know, it's amazing that he's doing that. And the fact that he started off with something this great is exciting
0: and I thought that even though it's not uh, the scope of it isn 't huge, but I thought the way it was shot was lovely, like the angles and the way you saw the house yeah. and the compositions for something that was so um, enclosed, it had real beauty yes cinem- well done. Cinem- yeah. cinematography wise um, my next one was little men mm-hmm. it 's an unsung movie it was about these two like i guess they're like thirteen year old boys who become friends in New York City and because One of them is renting, one of them parents is renting their sort of store from the other one and then real estate prices and they have to raise the rents and all of that stuff comes between these two boys' friendship. And it felt very New York now or any big city now where people can't afford to do the things that they used to be able to afford to do and how that changes people's lives.
1: Yeah, Iris Sachs has really cornered the market on these very subtly violent films. They're like, just, they're like emotionally violent.
0: And And you you can see both sides of it. You're like, you can, you, there's no good guys and there's no bad guys, but it feels like the way the world's going and it's like, oh, and you just have to sit there and watch the, the, the thing happen. Did you see it?
2: Yeah. I, I liked it, but I think actually it would, the, the, the moment that I would have picked out of that, I think is the same one that you would have, um. If, if you want Did to. you pick a moment? Go for it. I, okay. made, I didn't list it, actually, but oh. then I went. I read yours, and I so said, yeah, that would have been the moment. There, that there's I a have...
1: scene where, of the two kids, the, the more bold of the two kids, takes an acting class, and he squares off with the acting teacher um, demonstrating the Meisner technique, which is when people uh, just say what the other person says back at them. So it's like, I like you, and you have to say, I like you, and he goes, I like you, and you have to sort of listen and echo what the other person's saying to see if you're present in the moment. And so he squares off with this teacher and they're just like face-to-face, inch apart from each other and they're just screaming at each other for this extended like three-minute take. And it's hilarious. hilarious, And this kid rose as a star because of that moment and is now getting big movies yeah and so it and it is a star making moment to this little kid who's fantastic in the film yeah uh just it's such a great moment and that film is streaming now you can see it on netflix
0: awesome mm-hmm. all right who wants to go another moment out of time i would love to what do you got Kreisha. Yes. yes. Oh, I wanted to see that and I didn't see it. So glad you brought this see
2: up. See it. It's with a
0: K R I S H A, right? Yes. Okay.
2: And Kresha Fairchild, who is the actress who plays Kresha, the character, gives, to my mind, the single best performance by a human being in a movie.
0: Uh, she can't beat the goat. <laughs> no,
2: it's it's, the go- it's Black Phillip and it's Kresha Fairchild. <laughs> those,
0: those, those are the performances of the year.
2: Um, but she's incredible. She plays this uh, recovering addict who goes back to um, uh, her Houston home. Or, I think her it's sister, Austin. Her, is it
1: Austin? Is I it, think it's Austin, but go ahead. Um, uh,
2: where her sister is having Thanksgiving. And she's going ostensibly to, to make amends, as, as, as you do. And it does not go well at all. Um, but the the moment was is actually an extended thing that lasted the first half of the movie. Is Kresia wants to help make the turkey, and it starts out okay, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And then this Nina Simone song kicks in, and then it gets really bad. Yeah, and you realize just how much of a hole this human being has has dug for herself and how no one is gonna help her get out of it. Yeah. And it's 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 absolutely, absolutely devastating. Um
1: and the most alive performance and the most human. It's like the best performance is Gina Rollins and A Woman Under the Influence for me, a woman under the influence, in that same vein. Right. In where it's just so lived in and vivid and you just buy every second of right. like, this character. And she's Trey Edward Schultz who wrote and directed um, and plays him a version of himself and all of the family members are his family members shooting in their house um, and they made it on a you know for a dime and but it won the Casavetti's award at the Spirit Awards this last year which is wonderful because this does harken back to Casavetti's like films except Casavetti's kind of used handheld throwaway style as a director Tradeward Schultz is the real deal as a director this film is masterfully directed mm-hmm. it's not a throwaway film. Every shot counts. The framing is spectacular. And I did not expect that going into this to be. Yeah, because it seems
0: kind of a homemade kind yeah, of. This like, yeah, this does not
1: feel like a homemade move. This feels like a real director who knows exactly what he's doing and how to get you inside this woman's head. And it's devastating and spectacular and so entertaining. And uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now. Oh,
0: good. I'm going to watch that too. My list is growing. Um, I, my next one on there is War Dogs, the the one with, uh, Miles Teller and, um, uh, Jonah Hill. And I didn't expect a lot from it, but I was kind of like, wow, this really happened. They ended up being, like, these Miami punks that ended up, like, you know, selling arms during I- the Iraq War. And it was just, like, one of the, I enjoyed it because it was, like, I can't believe that this happened not that long ago. And it was, like, we're starting to find out all that stuff that was going on during the Bush years and... Um, you know, and I like, I think Jonah Hill's a really good actor.
1: He is. I hope Alonzo Duraldi is not listening to this. I know, he probably hated oh it. Oh my God, he was I so ex- upset about this movie. I
0: expected <laughs> nothing. I don't think, I think, was this thing that they glamorized? He just the, didn't believe a second of it. Interesting, yeah. All right. I thought it was shot, it had a certain energy. It was a, It was like, it wasn't, um, I don't know, it, it had a certain, uh, you know, kind of Wolf of Wall Street kind of visual panache.
1: They mentioned that this was about a, a bad movie about white male privilege. I don't know if you got that
0: out of it. Uh, well, yeah, but that's the point. I mean, it was like <laughs> these guys were able to kind of stumble into this thing that got bigger and bigger and it was kind of like I can't believe this. I like Jonah Hill, so I want to give him yeah. a chance. I was have, at have a dinner...
1: I haven't seen it
0: yet. I was at a dinner party uh, over Christmas and this one guy thought that La La Land oh, the white privilege. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like it's just Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. I mean... John Legend was there. I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> you know, like I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess I, I was like, I don't know how to answer that. But um, yeah, and he was a white guy. Yeah. You know,
1: one movie can't be everything to everybody. That's
0: I think that's the theme of tonight. But I, it's a good plane movie, maybe. Yeah.
2: War Dogs. There's, War dogs. A, there's, there's a theme with you in planes.
0: Well, I just don't want to oversell these movies, because they're like, if you ask me my like 10 best, I, these probably, a few of them might make it, but <laughs> like, you know, they're unsung. That's the point.
1: All right, well, I'm going to talk about The Elephant in the Room that we haven't talked about yet with my role. next pick, which is Moonlight. Okay. How come Moonlight hasn't come up yet? It's a great film.
0: And so, oh, I love Moonlight. I just not. it's not an unsung film for me. No,
1: no, I know. I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. You okay, know, it's good. Just,
0: it's, it's a very good film for me. I saw it twice, and I was like, wow. Well, by it both times
1: well we our, we bookend each other with la la land and moonlight probably like yeah. you
0: like that a little bit better than i did and probably moonlight in, i keep moonlight going back things. and forth on which one i'd like to win things or like i really love them both in well, different ways
1: moonlight i mean it has so many moments it's such a beautifully shot poetic film and uh speaking of fences really does take you through the journey of the black male and identity and identity mm-hmm. politics and not judging a book by its cover, never knowing where those influences are going to come from, because they come from really unexpected places in this film. And I don't want to spoil anything to do with that, because that's the greatness of it. And, uh, but my moment out of time is there's a scene in a diner between two grown black men, gay, who have reunited. And I don't, I, I'm going to try not to spoil anything here, but there's a song that's going to come on in the jukebox, And it it reminded me of Martin Scorsese and building suspense around, don't forget about that song. Or it's like *Crisha*, where it's like, don't forget about that turkey in the oven. You know that's going to come back. And so he plants that, and there's this amazing conversation between these two guys reuniting after being apart for many years with a lot of baggage behind them. And uh, you're waiting and waiting, waiting, waiting for that song. And when it comes on, it's just delicious and evocative and beautiful and just really that that scene just gels because of that, and I love when directors kind of hang a lantern on something and give it, you know, the reveal that it needs and merits. And that movie did that for me.
0: I love it. What's you have a moment for Moonlight? I do, um, and
2: I, I I would like to say that really it's the first third of the movie is so perfect, so uh, just just emotionally overwhelming that. For me, that was the problem with it. Was that the, I don't—I never felt that the movie really recovered from that first third. But there's this particular moment where Marshala Ali, who plays this uh, drug dealer um, who takes the youngest version of Chiron under his wing, talks to him at a table about being gay, and the kid has some questions, and and the guy has some answers. I, I I was completely knocked out by
0: that. Well, they're, they're not was, the answers you'd think.
2: They're not the answer, And, it, and it, reper, it reconfigures that character and makes him reverberate through the rest of the movie. Yeah. In, and it's so delicate and honest and sad.
1: And I, I was I was completely knocked out. Yeah. That's what the movie upended my expectations in that moment, too. I agree.
0: But if I had to pick a moment at a time, I would do the diner scene as well. Because there was something about the two of them together and Andre Holland one of the actors I think he's so great and um, the Mar- how do you say his name Ali Marshalla he's Ali. getting all the supporting actor buzz but I really loved Andre Holland in the movie any of those actors could have been nominated the for whole they're all dynamite some of your listeners
1: might not realize Naomi Harris who's also great in the film yeah um, because of a visa issue, had to shoot her part in three days. And when you watch that film and think about three days to get what she gets, yeah. I mean, it's a roller rollercoaster for performance. Thanks, Trump. Can, 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 <laughs> I, can, I, can I ask a question, though? Yes. What did you guys think of the ending? Loved it. I loved it, too. And there was, uh, there were people that were saying, ah, come on, you shied away from the sex part of it. Um, I heard Barry Jenkins talk about it um, at the Writers Guild screening, where he said, I wanted to slow the movie down to real time in that last third and so the scene that you want, that, that, that sex scene that you want or whatever, that probably happened a couple hours after the movie ended. Yeah, and he just wanted point. to get this guy to a point of being able to connect.
0: Yeah. And That's so I what loved that about. That That's a
1: beautiful, memorable ending,
0: actually, yeah.
2: because of that. I, 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 I liked it, but at the same time, I kind of I wondered about, not that you needed a full-blown sex scene to, to sort of end the thing, but I think what I, what I found problematic was that he ends the second part with this crescendo of violence and it's earned but the whole point was that that this guy was was, was heading towards love and for to not have what i felt was a similar crescendo of
1: love because it ends on sort of a whisper i thought mm, that that sort of i think that is a, it's a, the quiet crescendo of love is what to me makes it even more memorable mm-hmm. that this character is able to actually slow it down and go quiet And be a little more introspective and realize who he is finally, to me, is better than any knockdown, drag-out, you know, throw-someone-on-the-table sex scene.
0: Yeah, I loved it. I thought the ending was was perfect.
1: Yeah, I didn't feel it shied away from, like, the gay experience or didn't, you know, because a straight director made it that he was pulling punches. I didn't think it was shying away. I just felt that, like, he had earned something
2: else. And for me, that was all.
0: Fair enough. Okay, what's your next moment out of time, Michael? I don't know if I can top Moonlight,
2: though. We'll That's tra- all right. It's not, this isn't a competition, Michael. Oh, it's always a
0: competition, Glenn. <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: um, I want to talk about another little movie um, that didn't get a lot of play, but it's actually coming out on Criterion uh, Discs, which are these great DVDs, um, next month, and it's called Camera Person, and it's by Kirsten Johnson, who is a cinematographer and documentarian who's, who... She shot um, Citizen Four, the Edward Snowden documentary. Oh, right so she was okay. in the room with him. She shot parts of uh, Fire Night, Nine Eleven for Michael Moore. Okay. So she's been. So she, what she did was she she constructed basically a collage movie where she took outtakes from her 25 year career of of certain moments. I mean, we're, this is what we're talking about: moments in time. She built an entire movie around this, um, where she would take moments where she she was in Afghanistan. Or she was in Nigeria or she went all over the United States and took certain moments of people just talking about whatever. And you wouldn't think that necessarily any of it was connected. But what I began to realize is that the, she was driving home the point that the filmmaker and the movie itself are often completely linked. And you can't actually separate the art from the artist. And maybe you shouldn't. And maybe you should be conscious that there is a person who, who and or people that made these things. Um, and it's got some absolutely amazing moments in it. One in particular where she's interviewing um, a, a guy in Afghanistan who, who in his language talks to her about how his brother was killed um, when a bomb went off and he lost uh, vision in one eye because of the, the conflict that's going on over there. And you, you, you can read it in subtitles, but she couldn't understand him. And about partway through, just from hearing and watching the body language, she breaks down and starts sobbing and says, "I can't understand you, but I'm I'm here with you right now." And and I think that's that's the power of of movies that we we, we seek to connect with one another, even if we can't necessarily but understand one another. Um, but movies somehow. Bridge that kind mm-hmm. of language gap um, and it, it's absolutely incredible so.
0: love it another one on my list um, my next one is The Hunt for the Wilder People it's a movie from New Zealand it's this really kind of funny buddy comedy between this orphan that they can't place anywhere and this man that he ends up living with and then they take off into the New Zealand brush and it's the, the comedy is really funny and the relationship's Sweet, and it's just a real crowd pleaser, fun movie. I loved it.
1: Yeah, I thought it was hilarious, and that little kid is like the young thirteen year old version of Rebel Wilson.
0: Yeah, he's just (laughs) kind of outrageous, and he talks about Tupac being a friend of his, like he's my best friend, and just. I and mean, the smaller parts are great, and yeah, and Neil's wonderful. Yeah, really a good crowd pleaser movie. I bet it was a big hit in in New Zealand. Did you happen to see it?
2: Yeah, I, again, I liked it. I didn't love it. Yeah, it's a bit sitcomy at times, and a, and a bit like Wes Anderson light. Yeah. Um, but that was more humane than Wes Anderson
1: movies. Ah, it would be a little sure. cold. It
0: was like, it was one of those movies that I knew nothing about, and we just popped in the DVD, me and my friend Danny, when we were over Thanksgiving and just laughed. And we're like, yeah. this is really fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah.
1: Okay, I'm going to talk about a smaller one. Okay. I mean, it was a hit, but it's not on like a lot of best of lists, but sure. I think it's in its genre, great, was Don't Breathe. Um, <gasps> so this it's is a, horror movie, a Home Invasion right? or a home invasion where your loyalties to the characters shift constantly and you don't know who to root for or you're rooting for different people at different times. I'm, I'm
0: rooting for the GOAT. Spectac-
1: <laughs> it's spectacularly Always. directed. Um, and it's a bunch of different movies in one because it's a home invasion thriller. It's like Cujo at times. It's like an S&M movie at times. It just surprises you and surprises you. It's got echoes of Silence of the Lambs. Um, and my moment at a time, it's... it's I have... I want to find out from the director if this was true. Um, it was an homage to The Exorcist. And that is, so they, these young kids invade the home of this blind man to steal his money. And, you know, they don't want to wake him. He's in bed. And so they sneak into his room, and he's asleep in the bed. And we cut to one of the invaders. And then we cut back to the blind man, and he's sitting up in bed looking around. And it's the most shocking cut because you didn't expect him to already be seated and seated up, sat yeah. up and alert. And it reminded me of The Exorcist, where um, the, the father sees his old mother sitting in the bed of Linda Blair in her place. And she's just there, you know, and, like, just appears. Right. And it felt like, it echoed that film. But such a thrilling genre piece, this movie was.
0: I need to see that, too. That's interesting, because it could have been a something that the director always had in mind, or they could have discovered it in the editing room. Like, right. what if you just cut to it? Ooh, maybe It's that. chilling.
2: Yeah. Did, did you see it? It's, it's amazing. I, I love it. And my moment at a time, and I don't, again, don't want to give too much away, but my moment at a time would have been the turkey baster moment. <laughs> um, don't
1: say too much about that.
2: Wow. Where, where <laughs> they, they, they go into a certain room, something is revealed that completely turns the movie on its ear, and they start to freak out. A turkey baster is introduced. And then something is done with the turkey baster, and then something else is done with the turkey baster that's so amazingly horrific and gross and amazing and powerful that oh, it was great. But the thing I want to say about Stephen Lang's performance is that... You is know, he the blind guy? Yeah, yeah, he is. And he's the bad guy in Avatar, among other things. Um, is that he... I'm on the Writers of Disabilities Committee and we talk a lot about representation and how we're not getting enough of it and how do you tell a story with a person who has a disability because the guy's blind in this case. And I thought this was one of the best representations of disability for me because it doesn't treat the guy with kid gloves. He's complex, like Glenn said, you don't know who to root for. At, you think one, at one second he's this poor, feeble man who can't get around, and the next minute he's going crazy, and, and it keeps flipping back and forth. I said, that's what we need more of. That, those types of representations where you, you don't know what's going on necessarily and you have to really work to make your own conclusions. And so. they give
1: him some pretty deep humanity in that film. Yeah. His backstory. And so yeah. that, it, it's what endears you to him but then he's so terrifying at times and so are the kids and it goes back and forth.
0: On a little side note, I would like to know what percentage of turkey basters are actually used to baste turkeys in this world. Because it feels like there's a lot of other uses. Depends there on are the,
1: definitely <laughs> other uses. this depends sir. on what
0: neighborhood Exactly. Uh, Someone th- should do a study. <laughs> um, but it's funny that
1: Turkeys keep coming up in our year end. I know
0: it's the year of the turkey. Yeah. Um, I, I'll go next. My other unsung movie, uh, The Edge of Seventeen. Oh, I was just about to talk about that. Um, I Haven't seen it. It's a, it's a, it's like I think it. Wa- it makes me sad because it's so good. It's like a, a, a teenage movie. It's sort of like it, it would be like Sixteen Candles was in the eighties, but 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 that movie found an audience. I mean, I don't think it was a big hit initially at the box office, but John Hughes became John Hughes, and and this one seems to be getting lost, and it's Haley Steinfeld, and she's terrific in it, and it's it's just a great teen movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, James L. Brooks picked this up and produced it, and his fingerprints are all over this film for me, and nothing more than my moment out of time is the opening scene where Haley Steinfeld uh, barges in on her teacher, played by Woody Harrelson, who has one delicious moment after another in this film. And she tells him she's going to kill herself. And his reaction to it and the way he plays off of her and doesn't let her suck the energy out of the room is so funny and masterful. And it 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 just captivated me in the way that James L. Brooks would do that in his films, where he would grab you with an erotic character and just, like, Get in there yeah. with them and to make something funny and do a little turn and make it funny. And it felt that way. And you and I have talked about this, Dennis, but a scene stealer from that movie, like the oh star God. in the making. Irwin. This guy Hayden Zetto, who plays the love interest to Haley Steinfeld. He plays this geeky film uh, maker named uh, Irwin.
0: Right, yeah, he's a Asian family. American he's, kid. That, he's
1: Korean, yeah. yeah, or Filipino. I'm um, not sure. And uh, he Can't remember. is hilariously nerdy and awkward and dynamic and sexy and funny all at once.
0: I swear, if I had seen this before the, the election, I might have written in him on a ballot for <laughs> what my representative or something. Oh, I, I like movie. Irwin for president. I love Irwin.
1: Like some sort of alternative fact ballot? Yeah. yeah. Why not? Where, where can you see that? Is is that I don't, Edge of 17? I don't, yeah, is that it's all it currently the at
0: the, theater the dollar. Right I have a dollar theater not far from my house or a $3 theater. Is that
2: North Hollywood? Yeah.
0: Okay. I think it's still there. Um, it's definitely one of the but it bumps things me out for movies. the future of teen movies because if that movie can't find an audience I don't know you know what I mean like are, are they are people just seeing superhero movies or young people not going to the movies in the way that they used to yeah
1: I was very sad about that too because I think it is on a par with 16 Candles and Breakfast Club Mean and Girls Easy like a, those, yeah yeah it's just it's a great teen movie with a great lead performance did they blow the marketing I do I think it just got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, maybe. They didn't have enough money for yeah, marketing, maybe probably. That's it. Can, yeah. I, can I
2: mention another teen movie yes. though, since we're talking about this? And it's a movie that uh, literally I don't think anybody's really seen because I don't know, I even know if they got a proper release in 2016. But I saw this movie at L.A. Film Fest um, last June. Um, it's called The View from Tall. And it's a bunch of Chicago filmmakers um, that, that made it. And it's about a a, a teenage girl who has an affair with her professor, or her, her one of her teachers, and decides to own up to the fact that she wanted it, and everybody thinks that she's then crazy and needs counseling, and so they send her to um, a, a therapist, and then the whole movie is the relationship between her and the therapist. The interesting thing about that movie is that it's so completely naked and honest and, and wonderful and talks about accountability and feminism and what it means to be empowered um, but the, the performance of the, of the therapist is, I forget the guy's name, um, off the top of my head, but he, he's a guy he plays the characters in a wheelchair. And I was watching this cause then I tend to zero in on these types of things about wanting to call bullshit right. on that type of stuff. And, and I'm going, why is this not hitting me the way that it normally would? And I couldn't quite figure it out. And then I found out at the end that the guy, the actor is really in a wheelchair, which you never see. I mean, next to never. And I realized because... He's not playing a guy in a wheelchair. He's playing a guy who just happens to be in a wheelchair. Right. And who's just a person. Right. And I think I was so used to seeing these cliches that this movie completely challenges all of that and upends it. And it, it ends up being one of the most frank and honest explorations of, of love and identity that I've seen in a very, very long time. So hopefully it will actually get a full release at some yeah. time. But Told people T-O-L-L. Oh, the, tall, T A L L. The okay. view from tall. The view okay.
0: from tall. Okay, yeah. another one on my list. Cool. Um, I just have one more on my unsung films. You guys have a lot more moments. How are we doing on your making headway? Or
1: like I, I, I got a couple more, but go for it. You're okay.
0: Sure. Um, Patterson uh, with Adam Driver. It's Jim Jarmusch, right? Made the film, and it's about a bus driver with the soul of a poet, and it's just lovely. And I feel like Adam Driver is so good. Mm-hmm. I, just I think want he's to one cheer of, for that guy. I, every I, time I, I see would, him, I would love to see him make get a best Oscar nomination for this because I think his performance is so subtle and quiet. And he's good in everything. He was good in Star Wars. He brought he brought something extra to that and he's, girls. And he's I find him sexy and just unique, and I think he's great.
1: Is this wrong to say that he's the actor you want Keanu Reeves to
0: be? Yeah. No, he's got that same <laughs> You're sort You're not of, wrong. You're not there's, wrong. There's something Keanu-y about him. Yeah. Because yeah. he's great, and, and that movie's great. great. Um, I, it, I
1: was astounded by that movie working as well as it did with almost no conflict. It's, yeah. It's a movie that's repetitive. All the key moments in the movie just keep coming back and back and back and back, and yet... Little, subtle things change in it, and all the drama is very internal in the film, and yet it is beautiful it 's about the soul of an artist yeah. and the journey of an artist where it's not success isn 't measured by the amount of money you make it 's about what's in your heart and that movie is great and uh uh someone I've known for a long time uh Fred Elms is the cinematographer on that film, and he shot. You know, a lot of David Lynch movies like Blue Velvet, and he's done Ang Lee films, and on and on and it goes. Like, he did The Night Of, the the HBO miniseries that came out this year. He's a great cinematographer. And when I saw this, and what he does with the cinematography in this film is so unshowy and so unfussy, and yet you feel everything watching it. And I, I likened him to a cinematographer who doesn't say, look at me. He says, look with me. And that's what I felt watching this film, that I was just being guided
0: and I love that. So beautifully guided. Yeah, have you seen it, Michael? No, I'll be seeing it in a week's time. I so love it. You know, I'm excited. I have a friend named Barbara who does career counseling for artists and creative people, and and she always talks about um, some sometimes if you if you want to be a creative person, you have this pilot light inside you that that it's there, and if, if you're not using it, it'll chew you up, you know. And in this, and I, I was thinking about that as I was watching this movie. I felt like there's one point where Adam Driver's pilot light goes out. And you, and you feel the loss of it, even though it's not, nobody's losing their house, nobody's, there's nothing violent about it, but it's that thing of, can I be a creative, can I be an artist, can I f- have room for this in my life, and, um, Yet and when not... you feel the loss of it, you feel it in jeopardy, you really feel the jeopardy, you feel like there's something really at stake, although from the outside, no, no, no one would despair. notice. There's no despair,
1: there's no desperation going on no. externally in the film, it's all
0: in this quiet it's so wonderful. Internal anyway, life. Yeah. I lo- and I love him. I, love- I think he's great. Yeah. That's my last one of my Unsung Ten. So cool. what else do you guys have left? Well, I'm going to
1: talk about 20th Century Women. <sighs> okay. Is that a, in a good way? Who are you talking to? I, I knew you loved You it. just don't know. I sat next to you during this film. I remember now. Okay. So 20th Century Women, which Mike Mills, who did Beginners, for those of you who have seen that, where Christopher Plummer won an Oscar for. Right. Um, and that was semi-biographical film about his father, his real father. Well, now he's turned the tables and done a biographical film about his mother. And set during the 70s in Santa Barbara. And it's Annette Bening playing the mother um, with this young teenage boy. And they have different people who live in their house, played by Greta Gerwig. Um, And Elle Fanning comes and goes as this kind of girlfriend to the young son, but she wants to put him in the friend zone. And and then also... um, have uh what is the actor who's from almost famous billy crudup billy crudup who is also living in the house he's kind of the handyman and um and it's this sort of sun-dappled sexy feminist film where in the first 10 minutes i thought the rhythms were off because they weren't punchy it was just characters talking with a lot of air between dialogue and i started to realize that mike mills had something on his mind that he said the women in this film or the subject matter of this film isn't here as your party clown. It's not here for your amusement. I mean, I'm talking about something where we're honoring these women, especially the matriarch. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wanted you to kind of pay attention to that. And so it sneaks up on you throughout the film where you start to realize how great Annette Benning is as an actor and as a character and that you just love her and what she does in the film and the journey she goes on with her son and just that last moment out of time for me is just this amazing shot of Annette Benny. I won't say what is happening in it and where. When you get to the final of the movie, it's just this amazing cathartic release where you're just kind of celebrating this character and the influence she has on the people around her.
0: Mm-hmm. Lovely. Yeah, I liked it too. Probably not as much as you, but I did oh. like it. I know.
1: Um, yeah, we have to work on our size.
2: The yeah, we... and Yeah,
0: and what we <laughs> communicate. <laughs>
2: Sorry about that. Yeah. Did you love the movie? I, I loved it. I, Annette Benning is a national treasure. Greta Gerwig is a national treasure. I mean, they're 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 magnificent. And my moment would have been um, when 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 um, after Annette Benning has made efforts to try and understand her son, who's this like burgeoning punk, right? Um, she goes home with Billy Crudup, and they put on first Black Flag and then The Talking Heads in an effort to understand punk rock at the time that it's happening and having a hard time with it, but but then all of a sudden they just start to dance. And that that's another just wonderfully tiny little cathartic moment where it's, it's great, scene. Like, yeah.
0: I think it's interesting when actors dance as characters, but they're not dancers. It's, they're not doing a dance, but they're trying to express themselves in that way because I think it's very self... You know, it's easy to be self-conscious and... How do you... I don't know. I think it's interesting when actors dance on screen. I think of um, Kevin Klein in in and out when he was... Do you remember that when he sort of... He was dancing yeah, to some gay yeah, song Yeah. and I just... But I remember that and... Or Al Pacino in Cruising his weird dancing. <laughs> I don't know. It's like you want to dance like the character but you also don't want to look like a fool. I don't know. I think
1: you don't want to look like Elaine in Seinfeld.
0: Exactly. Yeah. All right. So well, um, with, with, do you have any more?
1: Well, I, I just want to finish with uh, um, 20th Century Women. So the screening we were at, Mike Mills was there. And I said to him, thank you for finally making the movie that wins Annette Bening the Oscar. And he goes, I don't know about that. And I'm realizing she's not going to win the Oscar again. I don't think she's going to win the Oscar again. It's like she lost twice to Hilary Swank, who deserved the Oscars for her performances. But Annette needs some love. And this movie is, I think, her best performance ever. And yeah. it's just sad to me that I have a feeling she's not. I think it's
0: Emma's year. She
1: might not even get nominated.
0: No, I think Annette she will.
1: not that Benny? I think. I don't know.
0: I think I don't know. Let, let's send out that I know, juju. I know, exactly.
2: But but the positive thing you can say about that disappointment, though, is that it actually has been a very good year for female performances. I mean, really challenging, bright, vivacious stuff, all the people that we've been talking about. And I would like to give a shout out. Can I? Can I? Yes. There was a tiny little movie about a a woman and a pissed off shark.
0: Oh yes, the
2: shallows.
0: (laughs) I saw that. that Blake Lively
2: came out over the summer, and um, Blake Lively. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the setup that this woman who who's surfing gets injured and ends up on a rock, trapped. Right. And there's a great white shark that wants to get her. I mean, it's it's a perfect sort of exploitation movie setup of beautiful woman, scantily clad, fights a monster. But Blake Lively imbues that with such humanity and such rage and, and fervor and, and ingenuity and sexiness. She doesn't give that up at all. Um, by the end of it, I thought, wow, one of the best performances of the year was in
0: a woman, was with a
2: woman in a bikini fighting a shark.
0: She won a People's Choice Award for it. Did she? Yeah. Well deserved. Yeah, People
2: have spoken and I are like
0: right. the visual of that movie. I like, there was Gorgeous. like social media involved and he did interesting things with the way it was on the screen. Shots and, were beautiful. Yeah. Too.
1: so And it was in my moment out of time I said, I don't care what your sexual orientation is. You can't deny that Blake Lively looks amazing in that bathing suit she really yeah. does and,
2: and 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 not to put too fine a point on it because it is ultimately it's a fun ride but i think also it was kind of moving in the end that really this is a, this is a story about a woman who's fighting grief and fighting depression and learning how to how to fight through that and get get beyond it and the fact that she does in one way or another was was was
1: legitimately moving yeah, it was better than it had to be yeah And there just been a genre film. Wasn't
0: there a bird that was kind of like a Steven Seagal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: that bird is competing with Philip the Goat. Goat, I know, but but
0: I I think Philip the Goat. Well, the bird didn't have lines, and clearly Philip did. (laughs) Do you have any more moments out of time, Michael? Uh, I have a few. Yeah, let's rock it.
2: Well, Glenn, as as two despairing white people, the fact that we have not brought up Manchester by the Sea yet.
0: I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of that movie.
2: I I have I like it. I don't love it. I don't think it's the masterwork that that people are saying. I think it's very writerly, which I can like. August Wilson, that's writerly, but that works. I think Kenneth Lonergan, it's a bit too studied at, at times. But what he what I what I what it, what the screenplay lacked at times, he makes up with with being able to work with the actors and the scene at the end or toward the end, where Casey Affleck, who's playing this this. Grieving man who's taken up caring for his nephew gets reunited with his ex-wife, and is played by Michelle Williams, who's another national treasure. Um, and she asks him to lunch. Just asks him to lunch, and it's one of these things that just does not go well. And it's one of the great pieces of acting between two people. It's just two people standing on a street negotiating that.
0: Moments. That's the moment I remember the most from the movie. Yeah. For me, the most powerful thing of the movie. And I, I'm like you. I liked it. I didn't love it. But I know people that have had really powerful reactions to it. So
1: Yeah, I'm on board with that, too. I, I feel the same way about the film. And that scene was in my moment out of time as well, the lunch scene. I also think that the kid who played the, the son... Oh, he's um, so good. ...is also great. And he has been kind of coming up. I've noticed him in a few things prior to this film. And he just has such confidence... And he makes that character very um, East Coast. Like, he's got this East Coast confidence in him that you don't often get to see in films where they just project. And they know who they are, and they know what they want, and they know how to talk to people. And that I loved. I thought that, I actually thought KCF, like, hit the same bell over and over again too many times for me in the film. And that I liked the film. I liked what it was saying it was about. It did feel a bit like a dirge to me, though. I just I was really wanting it to end.
0: Yeah, it, it, when you find out why he's so depressed, it's so, it's a lot.
2: It's like ridiculously tragic.
0: Like It's, it's like, like if it's you can't on- imagine anything worse happening to anybody. Yeah. And, and I think if it had happened in the first five minutes, nobody would have made it... <laughs> Through more of the... I don't know. There was something... It didn't It didn't work for me the way it's working on a lot of other people, yeah. but I admire things about it. And
1: Lucas Hedges is the kid. Yeah, he's good. It. And he... The, the scene at the refrigerator where he loses it, I just thought yeah. was so wonderfully played.
0: He's great. Do you have any other ones? May I? Yeah. Um, the podcast is... Wait, I'm going to jump in. I have one. Okay, good. Okay, okay. Go. Gosh.
1: Because there's one that didn't get a lot of attention either that I thought was Here we go. worthy. It was a Monster Calls. Oh. Love that. Uh, it... Um, it it's being billed as a children's movie and yet it's really, a, it's pretty adult. I mean, it's, it's maybe like, if you want to explain death to your children, take them to this movie. I mean, I think it got lost in the whole, um, BFG world. Cause it kind of feels a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, but it's about a kid whose mother is ill played by Felicity Jones wonderfully. And then her mother played by Sigourney Weaver with a questionable English accent. Um, comes to help and she's very controlling and so the kid to escape um kind of has this imaginary relationship with this tree that lives um outside of their house and it comes to life and it's voiced by Liam Neeson and the movie I mean it really made me cry my eyes out like that film Lion made me cry my eyes out this year and this one um it just really hit home about how kids experience death and um but the, the real takeaway from this movie for me is the animation of the tree. It's like, you know, it's voiced by Liam Neeson. But when it's like walking, you just kind of go, did you see the ass on that tree? Tree's that tree's got, tree's got, a, really got a great ass.
2: ass. Yeah.
1: <laughs> tree got back. Tree got back.
2: Did you love it? I haven't seen it yet. I, I, I I really, 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 really liked it. Um, in part because, like what Glenn's saying, that that it... it it confronts death in childhood in a way that you never get to see. And it's still, it's a giant, giant tree monster, but, but it's some of the most human moments because they're so honest and true and they're, and they're played well. And there's a particular moment at the end where he, 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 the monster confronts the boy about something, and the boy has to finally fess up. And the way that's done visually, and the way that they talk to each other, you could argue that it's a bit clunky. May stop the movie, but what they're actually saying to one another is so true and so human that it, it just it just takes your breath away. And then when they have that final moment with the, the mother and the kid, they have a final. He has a final line. And you expect it to be one thing because that's how the movie sets it up. And then it's not. And then it's something else.
1: Oh, I
0: just lost it. Was that the biggest crying movie for you? This Lion year? was. Lion? Yeah, yeah. I no, no, no. Other,
1: other people actually I cried <laughs> really? from beginning to end, so that for sure I'm
0: trying to remember, I cry a lot in movies So I, I'm yeah. trying to
1: I have another moment that Michael will just roll his eyes So listeners, Go you on. can see. Okay. imagine what an eye roll looks like It's okay. about to come right. uh, With You're... Hell or High Water
0: I love that movie Yeah,
1: Michael doesn't <laughs>
0: Uh, I saw it twice and I loved it.
1: I think it's my favorite screenplay of the year, for sure.
0: Yes. Oh, and it's about on. what's happening
1: in this country right now.
0: I think I loved it because I grew up in a town kind of like the ones in the movie where all, all the main streets are closing and it's not like it used to be and what are we supposed to do?
1: Right. And I just thought that um, the performances were really beautiful and evocative and it was funny. And it was also, for people who are saying it's really slow, I'm like, there are two bank robberies before the opening credits. I mean, what more do you need? This movie's exciting, and then it has an exciting third act. People do sit around and talk quite a bit. But I think what it's saying about people who are struggling and rob the bank that robbed them so that they can keep their house is a great idea. (laughs) And people are rooting them on that are struggling in the film, and I love that. But the moment out of time in that film for me is the scene with the waitress. I will not roll my eyes at that because it's the one scene in that movie I loved. Go on. Where Jeff Bridges and his partner, his is, is in law enforcement, um, go into this diner where they're waiting for a bank robbery to happen and they're biding their time. And this waitress, who's actually played by a real actress. It's not a local that they hired.
0: It feels like she's so quirky. You feel yes. like they went and got somebody. And it's a
1: steakhouse and she just comes up to them. And instead of saying, what would you like? She just goes... What don't you want? Because they're going to order what she wants them to they order. They have,
0: like, there's, I mean, like, four things on the menu, and you have to get three of them or right, something like that.
1: Right, and there's one thing you have to say yeah. you don't want. And it just basically told you everything you needed to know about how dead inside people have become. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what the movie, to me, is exploring, is yeah. the death
0: inside I really liked it too. It's more the second time, actually.
1: Michael probably had an external death experience
0: yeah. watching that. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you guys pick some questions from the observation deck. Do you have any other moments before we get to them? I, I
1: mean, I think people can check out. Like they can yeah. look at my column. We'll plug yes. that at the end, or whatever okay, we'll you plug. Want. We'll I, do a little plug. I don't have it, but I'll go. Quick. I, won't, I won't. Yeah, go ahead. It's right. good um, the movie
2: Christine. Um, Antonio, Combo's I have that on movie. my screener.
0: Yes, about the newswoman.
2: Yeah, who who committed suicide on, uh, on the air um, in the in the early seventies. Um, so you know the ending, um, but Rebecca Hall's performance is is astonishing. She's so good. Um,
0: She's not really talked about in these year end, and, and
2: I think that's an absolute crime because the thing is is that what makes it so powerful is that. She 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 gives this depiction of of depression that cuts the distance between the audience and and her so much that like it's so unforgiving and so hard to look at but yet you have to because you feel so kind of bad for her and there's a moment where uh, a co-worker asks her to go for ice cream and it's the moment where you're you're like she's gonna turn it around she's gonna do it she's gonna she's gonna go and then everything's gonna be and then she, it, it just doesn't work out that way that was really powerful. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to The Handmaiden, which is probably the, I haven't seen it yet. the best Korean con person lesbian movie ever made by Park Chan-wook. is one of the greatest living directors right now. Um, and that movie is completely insane in many ways. Another movie that's also completely insane is Green Room. Um, which
0: oh yeah, I haven't seen it. Did you see it? I
1: just saw it about a week ago.
2: You didn't? You, well, I, you I just gave found, a
1: little eye roll there. I found it extremely punishing. It was just not, it wasn't a fun movie to watch, but it has a great last scene. The last line, in fact, is great. Yeah. And Imogen Poots, is yeah. that her name? Is awesome in the film.
2: Yeah. But, but there's, there's a moment toward the end where this Pitbull, because they've introduced, it's, it's basically, it's, it's a punk band who gets trapped in a club that's filled uh, with neo-Nazis and they have to fight their way out of it. And the neo-Nazis have Pitbull attack dogs. And set them on the people in the in the bar, and these dogs are on spanet, rip ripped throats out and just disemboweled. I mean, it's awful. Limbs are cut off. It's in film. It's, it's it's hard to watch. But at the very end of the movie, uh, Jeremy Sonier, who's the director, has this moment where one of the dogs, who's wounded and pr- dying, finds its master and lays down to die with it. In this very wonderful touching tender moment and you realize that these dogs are taught to hate that, that and then it makes the larger point that we're not built for that that we actually learn how to be awful to one another so that that was an amazing moment yeah me. we lost anton yeltsin and year, who may was he in rest star- in peace
0: he was in it yeah. he
2: was in that and he was also in star trek beyond which was better than that awful star wars movie um,
0: which one, Rogue One? or Rogue One. Yeah, I wasn't into Rogue One either. It was
2: awful. I um, liked it, but let's not yeah. talk about that. But Star Trek Beyond with Anton Yelchin, they had a nice moment at the end with him where the, where, where one of the lines is, like, say goodbye to, to fallen comrades, and it just cuts to him, and you just... Oh. You just, you know.
0: We saw, on Christmas Day, Patriot's Day, which oh, I that? I liked it <clears throat> as a procedural. I thought it was really interesting how, how the, the people... Um, tried to solve this, you know, find these these bombers, the Boston bombers. But there's a, there's an interrogation scene in the movie that's the best scene. And Candy it's these, Alexander. Candy voice. Alexander is interrogating the wife of one of the bombers, and she is relentless. And it's so... That scene is electrifying. So that's, that would be my moment out of time out of that film. I think you listed it, didn't you? I
1: did, because her scene... It's reminded me of Marathon Man where Laurence Olivier is asking Dustin Hoffman, is it safe? Is it safe? Mm. And she just keeps asking the wife of one of the bombers, are there any other bombs? And she just keeps asking that same question. It's a great one scene performance where she basically has this main one one line of dialogue pretty much throughout. And she nails
0: it. Well, it's funny because Peter Berg, Mark Wahlberg, you just think men, testosterone, guys, and the... The biggest badass in the movie is Candy Alexander right. in this one scene. Yeah. So it's kind of delicious. Um, I have not seen Hacksaw Ridge yet. Have you seen it? And I wanted, do I need I wanted, to see it on the big screen or is the screener okay?
2: Uh, did you see it? I haven't seen it. Okay, I saw it. I wanted to give a shout out to that because it felt like a return to form and a sort of redemptive moment for, for Mel Gibson. We don't need to go into whether you want that or not. Right. Um, but uh, it's, the, it's, it's a very, very powerful and moving experience because you have this guy who literally refuses to take a weapon into battle and goes to this horrible bloody battle in Okinawa and managed to save 75 people including some of the Japanese soldiers in, in the effort um, and it's just interesting to try to work out that it's a movie that's about a pacifist but it's also incredibly violent. Like that You know this, the, the opening 25 minutes in, in Saving Private Ryan? that's That's like ice cream compared to the hour of, of absolute carnage that, that these boys go through. Um, so I, I, I do think that it's worth seeing.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely going to see it. Cool. So. All right. So here's your questions that you picked from the observation deck. All right. All right. Um, I'm excited. I've never done the
1: observation deck before.
0: What movie have you seen more than any other?
2: More than any other? Um, probably Jurassic Park, I think that's cool.
0: That's interesting.
2: Um, Schindler's List is my favorite Spielberg movie, and it came out the same year. But for that's that's a perfect movie, and it's a perfect roller coaster ride.
0: But you don't pop it in on every, you know. That's you don't no. But
2: I but I saw it. (laughs) I saw it seven times in the movie theater.
0: That's so interesting. I have a friend named Clark Carlton, and back when that movie was coming out, one of his part time jobs was to watch the Prince. Of movies Mm -hmm. to see if there were any defects, like quality control before the prints went out. So he saw Schindler's List, like, I don't even know, I mean, maybe a hundred times, maybe more, like, hundreds of times, like, because he had to look at every print. But he
1: would watch the reels out of order. I went to film school with Clark Clinton. And that was the best part about it, is that, like, he would just watch them
0: out of order sometimes. And he would, I was like, (laughs) how do you cope? And he's like, well, I have candy. And I'm like, that's a lot. So... Jurassic Park do you love it why do you love
2: it I I do because it just it just works on you it just works I mean and it's genuinely dazzling and frightening and fun
1: it's a movie movie
2: yeah like it just I mean for all the serious stuff that, that Spielberg makes which I love he was put on this earth to make big Hollywood crazy movies like that and yeah that he just excels at it better than everybody else is a pale, you know, you know, imitation. As my as thing
0: was. with those movies is, I want the dinosaurs to eat everyone. Yeah, <laughs> I want. I'm on their side. Vince Vaughn, Julianne Moore, you can go. The kids, Newman, <laughs> what's her face, Bryce Dallas Howard. I mean, maybe, you know, save Chris Pratt because I like the way his pants fit. But that's it. But I'm always on the dinosaur (laughs) side. You draw the line of pants. What um, movie have you seen more than any Uh, other?
1: Paper Moon, which is my favorite movie of all time. I pop that in about once a year. Yeah. And my sister and I grew up just loving that movie and knowing every line. And uh, it's, to me, it's a perfect unassuming little gem of a film that has heart, gorgeous photography, great script, great performances. Uh, Madeline Kahn is just, indelible in it i love 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 that movie and
0: tatum o'neill is dynamite great yeah yeah and and
1: then the movie that there's one movie though that i went and saw immediately after i saw it i got another ticket and went back in and saw it so that kind of counts too was aliens it excited me so much that i just went back in and watched it again right away
0: yeah that's cool to go right back okay have you ever written a fan letter
1: yes so one of my musical idols is amy mann Okay, And she used to be in a band called Till Tuesday in the 80s. Yeah, Voices Carry. Voices Carry. And then she went solo. And her first album didn't do so well, but I loved it. And so I've never written a fan letter to an artist. What I did was I wrote to her record company. And I said, you've got to keep her here. Even if this doesn't sell, this is a career artist that you should keep because she's going to produce amazing stuff.
0: It's so interesting you thought that through like that. Yeah.
1: And so the record company folded. And about a year later, I get a postcard, a handwritten postcard from Amy Mann saying, the record company forwarded this to me. That's so cool that you wrote to my record company about me. If I ever get my act together and have like a fan list or whatever, I'll put you on it. And she did, right? So she added me. So I get these emails, you know, updating me on Amy Mann. And so then it came full circle a couple of years ago where she was at um, a bookstore signing CDs for her latest album. And I got up to her and I said, this is going to be really weird. However, you, you know, this is what happened. I told her the story and she goes, oh my God, I remember that. She goes, it was, uh, she remembered the postcard. She goes, cause I've only ever really written to like two people that way. And you were one of them. And the other person, cause I stopped because of the other person called me the devil. And she went off on me and, uh, and I said, well, look at the bright side. I go, you know, I'm appreciative. And she goes, yes, thank you for not being the devil. That's so crazy. <laughs>
0: That's a good story. So I loved it. That, that was my, my favorite. That's a good yeah. one. Have you ever written a fan letter?
2: I haven't, but as Glenn can attest to because of my Facebook feed, I haven't written a formal fan letter. But what I tend to do is write the fan letter right in front of them right. as, as I'm meeting the person because I have this knack for getting myself in front of really famous, interesting people and actually being able to have a a very human earthy conversation right you're present you're
0: in your body you're, you're, you have your wits about you yeah
2: and the, and and one of the best that i had was i got to meet werner Herzog, right. the great german director yes. after a screening of agire the wrath of god at the e- egyptian right here on on hollywood and uh, i had met him actually once before but and only had a few words but then i was like oh I'll meet him again and his, his crowd of disciples were all around him. And I thought, I'm not going to get my chance because he passed by me. And then I guess he caught me out of the corner of his eye. He came right back around and started talking to me. And he was like, you didn't get a chance to speak. And we just started talking about movies and, and life. And we were had been standing in the theater for a while. And this was in the bottom with the orchestra seats. And he's like, Do you, can I help you? And Because I'm, I'm using a wheelchair at the moment. And normally, I'm like, no, I can do it myself. And certainly, with this great alpha male director, I was like, no, I don't do it myself. But then my brain took over. It was like, no, dude, it'll be a better story if you, <laughs> if you, if you let him do if this. Werner
0: Herzog helped you.
2: So, Werner Herzog <laughs> pushing something up a hill, which who is very a
0: <laughs> ship
2: up a mountain, got behind this chair and pulled it, pushed it all the way up into the lobby of, of the Egyptian theater. And all the while, we're talking about courage and what it means to be an artist. And 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 at the end of it, he's like, "I see you doing this. I see you doing this. Push past whatever you need to push past, and do it." That's so amazing,
0: amazing. when somebody can give you that little thing that kind of keeps you going. Yeah, that's, oh. awesome. that's amazing. Okay, what? Uh, where's the weirdest place you've ever seen your own image? I think you picked this one, Glenn. Yeah.
1: So in the '90s, I was. Um, Part of a p- public service announcement ad campaign, it was, like, for an HIV hotline. And they wanted inexperienced models for this ad campaign. It right. wasn't a commercial. It was a photographic. Like billboards and, and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I went in, and, you know, basically they took a Polaroid of you. Um, you stood on a mark. They took a Polaroid. They go, do you have any experience? I said, none whatsoever. And yeah. the next day I got the gig. Right. That was it, right? And so it was on this... this uh, um, billboards. It was on trash cans on the beach, on buses, on magazines, all over the country. Were
0: you just by yourself, or were you? No. So I was great? like
1: being hugged by my fake boyfriend who looked like Harry Connick Jr. Nice. We have, like other images of other people, but we were the central image of the campaign. Right. And uh, and it was everywhere. I couldn't escape it. It was on the corner of my street. I'd walk by it every day for months. That's so. When cool. Did, Did people stop you and be like, huh? Well, yeah. here's the story. So I was in Washington D.C. And I came out of a bar with some friends and some new friends that we made in, in the bar. And we're standing outside. And we're talking, yada, 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 yada. And all of a sudden, one of the guys goes, is that you? And I turn around and the entire side of this building was me on this ad
0: campaign. That's all. I awesome. just went, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's me. Like you're Naomi Campbell. I love that. That's a really good story. It was
1: fun. It was a fun time. Yeah.
0: I don't know if I have anything like that. Do you have anything like that? Uh, not a billboard. I, that's, a, but, that's a question but, that I developed when I was right, interviewing a lot of actors and, and people like that. So
2: I, I do have a very good answer, though. Good. Uh, the Russian news.
0: That's cool. You were on the
2: Russian news, you like the Russian five o'clock news, um, because in 2014 I flew to Sochi um, to write about the Paralympics um, in in Russia, for, which was happening for the very first time. And that's another whole story. But I had gotten sick along the way um, and had to be hospitalized for a couple of days, which was really hairy because they didn't – well, they've had disability denial for like – decades and they were just coming around to like viewing people like me as like actual human beings. Right. And I didn't know how an actual hospital would be able to treat any of the conditions that I had or whether they would even be comfortable with that. But they basically pumped me full of, of, of saline for two days and it went away and I, I did okay. But the next, when I got discharged from the hospital, the one of the translators called me and said, we'd like you to come back. And, and they, and just come for one more thing. And I said, okay, I'll come back. See, all the way to my... Russia?
0: or just No, no, right I was there. still there. Okay.
2: But come back to come the back hospital. To the, yeah, yeah. And um, I get in the car, and she hands me a bouquet of flowers. And she's like, you're going to give this to the doctor. And I'm like, all right. I mean, they have a problem with gay people, so I wasn't sure how an image of a guy giving another guy flowers is going to play. I don't right. know. This is interesting. And then I get there, and there are news crews. And there's a news crew there. And I give this thing, this bouquet to him and, and we hug. And then they're picking up shots around the hospital grounds where I'm getting pushed and all this. And then it's, I, they send me a link like a day, like a day later. You
0: have no idea what the premise is as this is all no. unfolding.
2: Uh, Cause they're all speaking Russian and I don't right. speak Russian. And they're yeah. like, they just want you to be here. They want, you know, to, 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 to present you, you know, and having gone through this whole ordeal and blah, blah, blah. But it, and, and the hope you can get the, the broadcast online if you want, but you, you can't understand, it's all in Russian. But you can get from the editing that what they were doing was showing how the Russians take care of the the, the weak Americans. And they kind of almost implied that I had surgery at one point. And, you know, it's like the Russians invented propaganda filmmaking. Like, that's, that's one of the right. huge claims to fame. So the fact that like, I became like a figurehead for it in that puppet. in that moment You're a pawn. was 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 wild to wow. me.
0: Yeah. Wow. All right. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But do you have a do you save it? Do you have no, can, you, can you want access it? That's yeah. cool. All right. Uh I think you picked this one, Glenn. What project have you worked on that has been the most underrated?
1: I did a sitcom pilot and episode another additional episode um of Um, It's kind of in the three-camera Norman Lear style called Lesby Friends. And uh, Stephen Israel, a producer, and I um, came up with the idea, and we shot it old-school style. And it's basically an inverted threes company where a butch lesbian in the 1960s, the day after the Stonewall riots, pretends to be a femi-straight girl um, in order to live with two gay guys in an apartment, lest the lesbian-hating landlord finds out. So it's kind of an inverted version, it's but like, it's got... Yeah, Three's Company. It's kind of like Three's Company, and it's a project that I'm really proud of. We had a blast making it, and I still want that to push forward, so... Is
0: it available? Can people watch it anywhere? I mean, I have I have it's it. It's not like streaming or... No, it's
1: not streaming yet. at this point, but uh, it's something where the three-camera style is kind of uh, returning a little bit right now, and so I kind of want to push that, because it's something that I, I still feel very strongly about that didn't quite get the attention that I had hoped. Fair enough. Do you have anything
2: like that? Well, I, 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 I haven't really had anything produced um, at this point, so it's hard to say. But the thing is, I did work on an independent film called The Wedding Dress that my friend Paul Chitlick, um, who's also a Guild member, wrote and directed. And it's about marriage uh, equality and about time, about these three generations of, of, of women um, and he hired me as a documentary filmmaker on that. And I'd never done that before. And I was kind of diving in and I had like hours and hours of footage and- Of ne- the
0: making up. Yeah. And it okay. never, it,
2: some footage actually did survive. It never quite made the, 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 light of day, but I would, I would say that the movie itself, which I don't know if he's finished yet, but, um- It hasn't come out yet. I, no, I, I, I think I, it, he, he did have it premiere at a certain, certain events and things like that, but, um- i'm so proud of just being on that set and proud of my friend that he pulled it off see he made this movie in nine days
0: wow um, cool and that's, that's a short shoot yeah yeah
2: and it's a good movie too so i all directed
1: right. eating out three in 11 days but nine days that's that's a whole new ball of wax yeah.
0: <laughs> crazy all right um what's your favorite bad movie michael
2: what is my starring story?
0: john travolta no (laughs) isn't there a bad movie called Michael there is starring John Travolta yeah I mean maybe it's not bad I don't know um, Michael, what's your favorite bad movie?
2: What is? My, what did I say? What was I saying originally? I don't remember. We were talking
0: about this before we started, and I can't remember what <laughs> I it was. Can't well, mine's Earthquake. Oh, you were talking about Troll Two, maybe, but you like it. But
2: see, I really love Troll Two, and I and I and I and I, I, I don't know. I kind of take offense to the question about the idea of bad movies because I think, well, what, what makes it I mean? Is it because the the craft is inept, or is it just horrible to its characters? I mean, what does it mean? I
0: think it's when it veers into camp. I think.
2: But Maybe. but but then I would argue that it, that that if you're enjoying like, it, then that makes it good in a yeah, sense. Yeah,
0: that's what I'll say about Xanadu. Yeah, and it's horrible.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I'm saying
0: no. I've never seen okay, a bad movie. Okay, that's fine. I like that. It. And
1: Earthquake is mine. I mean, <coughs> yeah. just the fact that Ava Gardner plays Lauren Green's sister, or younger sister, right? Or wife? They no. do some weird.
0: No, there's an, not, there's yeah. an
1: age problem going on. There's there, an age problem remember. with Ava Gardner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just it's a terrible movie. But yeah. I just love watching it. It's yeah. ridiculous.
0: Um, I, I saw it a few years ago at the Egyptian with the uh, sense Around, with the oh, thing. That, and that was awesome. cool because they shake the row or whatever. Yeah. Um, what's a voicemail that was left for you that you played more than once?
1: <clears throat> um, a long time ago, I was doing research for these producers who wanted to make a rock and roll film. And I had it's kind of a connection to the band Heart. And uh, so I interviewed Nancy Wilson, who's the blonde, gorgeous <clears throat> guitar player from, yeah. in the group. And uh, we, but we were having trouble connecting. This was pre-cell phones, you know, and uh, we kept missing each other on our voicemails. So she left a voicemail that I saved and played over and over and over again because I idolized that band at the time. And, you know, they, they lived in Seattle, so it's near Canada, so they had that sing-songy sort of way of talking right. where everything ends in a question mark. Right. And I'll just never forget it because it was like, hello, Glenn, this is Nancy Wilson from Heart. And you know, we were just trying to get the interview scheduled, but I saved that forever because I like couldn't believe she said my name and that yeah. it was actually her. And we had a delightful time talking once we did.
0: Good, I love that. Do you have an answer uh, for that? I no, do. Glenn glad, glad picked the question.
1: Um, I I managed
2: a, a, a few years ago to to had the privilege of, of meeting and then getting later connected with um, Stuart Gordon, who's the writer director of Reanimator. Oh, cool. Awesome. It was one of the great splatter films of, of all time. Um, and I, I guess I very boldly asked him if he would ever like to have lunch. And he said, sure, I'll, I'll give you my number. And he's like, Dude, what do you want to talk about? I was like, well, I'm to talk about writing. And we did meet. And then he subsequently called me after I sent him a script. And he's like, yeah, I want to talk to you. I want to meet with you. And when one of your like horror idols wants to talk to you, and I have the script, it's in, and it's all footnoted, and he and gave, he gave all me notes, notes and... right in the right in the margins about what what he thought about it, um, and the, and, the, and the, the the voicemail itself is just a he's like yeah hi my little Stewart I'd love to meet let's yeah. let's go get Thai food. You know, it's just a simple little I'm reaching out to you as a human being moment and I was like, Holy god, I have that. So I was like, I'm keeping that for all time.
0: I love that. What were his notes like? Did you did you find them valuable and Oh yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. And and one of the best ones is I had I, I had this speech that went on for six pages on purpose. And he he his note was note was, um, you put that the character had his throat ripped out, so I'm not sure that six pages is gonna do it. <laughs> And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to take the line. He's like, I don't cut the speech. Like, just change that line that he doesn't have
1: his, he still has his throat. So yeah. It's like, a good note. Yeah. It's a good note. It makes sense.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, what do you guys want to plug? You, uh, you, you I know you have your uh, your review blog. Yeah, so
1: g- Google my name, Glenn Gaylord, with two N's. Okay. Um, and you can see my review blog on Tumblr. Just which like, is amazing. Thank you. It's called Glenn on Film, which Dennis You write can't.
0: your reviews really fast. And yeah. they're very well written. And I, I could not, I'm not a reviewer. I don't have that thing but I couldn't even I couldn't write them as fast and as well as you do yeah so I'm find me on Twitter
1: impressed. at Glenn Gaylord or look Glenn yeah. on film G-L-E-N-N um, on Tumblr and subscribe to my reviews I'd love to have uh, more people
0: they're very good they're fun and they're interesting and you have a great take on things Thanks. what about uh, Michael do you want to plug anything
1: uh,
2: well you can find me on Facebook it's Michael Darty and it's D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y um, I'm always willing to talk to anybody, and actually a lot of people, and I'm not really bragging here, but a lot of people friend me every week because they think I'm the Michael Darty that works with Brian Singer and who's written like the X-Men movies and Superman because we have the same name. We even went to NYU together. I actually been getting this for years. And Can th- you
0: both be in the writers' guild with the same name? Yeah,
2: cuz I'm Michael J. Okay. Um, so I had to I had to add that little my middle initial. Yeah. But um, a lot of people like to send me messages saying right. Lo- love your work it's like sorry to disappoint you but I'm not that guy but you're gonna love my work
0: <laughs> right I like that idea
2: um but I'm on Twitter too at at M-J-D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y 930 so mjdarty 930 what's the 930 uh my birthday
0: oh I'm 929 nice dude see thank you Libras we just high-fived <laughs> we did that's the what that was audience alright last question why do you love movies
2: they saved my life they did, and I feel I feel an obligation to give back to them, and so that's why I want to make them so badly, is because I want to give back to
0: them. When you say that, did you feel like it was during a specific time they did that, or when, over? Oh, they continue to.
2: Well, certainly when I was a kid, they were right. my absolute salvation. But I think they do. They, they. they whenever I feel like I'm unmoored and i and I'm drifting away from people, I watch something, and I'm like, no, people matter. Get back in there. Life matters. Get back in there. So
0: that's so beautiful. Top that, Glenn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, that's a rough one.
0: Uh, no, I. I, I always think next time don't give me the look like oh
1: you're going boy. <laughs> <laughs> the um, uh, the last shot of the movie Radio Days by Woody Allen of Mia Farrow sitting alone, kind of everything has gone wrong in her life at this point in the movie. And she's sitting alone in a movie theater, and it's like the silent movie era. And she's watching this film, and she, it's like a, I think it's like a musical, actually, not a silent film, like a Fred Astaire singing Come On, Get Happy, or something like that. And it gives her life again. And she just responds to it in this beautiful close-up where she's just lighting up, watching this unfold. And in the same way that, you know, they saved my life, it's, I I think they've connected me to life. You know, I get to experience the world through films, things that I would never see in any other way. Right. Um, And it just connects me to humanity in a way that no other art form has been able to. Um, It's just the classic campfire stories elevated and expanded and sitting there right in front of you.
0: Yeah.
2: And I
1: want to... Try to tie it. You mean
2: you tie it together, but I want to tie it together for myself. This whole thank you so much for having me. But this the way. is so
0: fun. I've really loved it. Really, and thank you. Oh, thank for, you. For this is great. You.
2: This is really great for me. But um, to speak to that, I think the power of movies is that we're all strangers dreaming in the dark about often the same thing. That we have the same needs, the same desires, and and they movies unite us more than they don't. And I think that that for me was the message. Whether it was unconscious or not, of La La Land,
0: the best movie of the year. Um, <laughs> I the, love that you're in with your that.
1: humble opinion. Yes, wh- wh- which is I that? love.
0: I was just reading a headline about the backlash to the La La Land backlash. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
2: but 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 it's that idea that 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 we're all sub- un- unconsciously or subconsciously dreaming together about life. Yeah, and and hoping that that it's it's going to lift us up and and it's that moment when it actually does yeah that 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 makes it all worth
0: it well i've loved doing this and i i was sitting here thinking as I, as it was going along i 2016 was a bad year for me that personally a
2: bitch of a year. i
0: had some real struggles and and all of that and i'm but i'm sitting here talking it and i was like but it was a good year at the movies it was it was. and i had good times at the movies and so it was kind of like i don't know i, I found it very poignant and and touching and and uh i'm pleased I guess. So thank you for doing this. Um, We hope that you're listening, that you have some movies that you want to check out now. I know I I have a list of my own. And um, we'll catch you next time. Um, Thank you guys for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) All right. Thanks to Glenn and Michael for sharing their passion and their thoughts about movies. All right. So this happened. uh, This past weekend was not only the inauguration, but um, here in L.A., I hosted and produced two episodes of The Mismatch Game live on stage. And a pretty good time was had by all, I have to say. And I didn't know how it would be doing it on the inauguration weekend, but I think a lot of uh, people were in the mood to laugh and uh, get out and be somewhere with people laughing, having a good time. Friday, actually, the day of the inauguration was the bigger house, which never happens. Um, and, uh, it was raining, but the the rain cleared up. And so it was great. Uh, the cast were really funny. And I think the thing I'll remember, uh, probably for a long time is my friend, Jackie Clark. My, I think my very first podcast guest, if I'm not mistaken on Dennis, anyone, uh, she hasn't done the show for a while. She does Liz Taylor and, uh, she was doing it on Saturday and she was just started eating fried chicken right from the get go, brought some fried chicken And then in the middle of like a round, she would get the attention of the guy sitting in the front row. And she'd go, she'd wrap a napkin around a bone, a chicken bone that she'd just eaten. And she'd go, can you hold this so I don't eat the bone? And, And she kept passing him chicken bones and wrapped in napkins like three times throughout the night. Because she was afraid if she didn't, she would eat the bone. So, yeah, that was, that'll give you a taste of, uh... The Mismatch Marriott. All right, that's a long episode. Thank you for hanging in there and sticking around and I hope you got some movie recommendations. I know I did and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.